We're starting a small series during summer because now it is summer. And here's the deal. We were talking about it at staff meeting, and we thought, oh, it'd be so great to bring the church through some books of the Bible. But which books of the Bible? So then we thought, oh, we'll bring them through the smallest books of the Bible so that when you leave here today, you can know that today you read an entire book of the Bible. This is great. So everybody always gets, well, the Bible's confusing. There's so many big words. It's so long. I have to go through Leviticus. I don't understand what this means. There's so much that can be daunting when it comes to going through the Bible, but here we believe in equipping you for your life as a Christian. So we're going to help, we're going to make it easy for you guys today. Uh, I am going to lead you through, as well as our, our team over the next bunch of weeks, we're going to lead you through the top 10 shortest books in the Bible. And uh, today we're starting with 2 John. And 2 John doesn't have like chapters 1 through whatever. 2 John is just a chapter. That's it. It is one chapter with 13 verses. You can't go wrong. It's pretty easy. Uh, if you nod off during this sermon, I will throw th something at you. And uh, you're gonna, you'll just have to walk in the shame of that. Praise the Lord. Yeah, that's right. Shame for the goodness of God. So uh, we want to we want to start going through this together. But just before we jump into this, I just want to say a couple of things before we go. Uh, we've had a couple of losses this week. Um, our good friends Keenan and Shelley. Shelley's dad passed away super suddenly this past week, and uh, his name is Peter Yoffinoff. We just want to pray for the family uh, of Shelley's dad. We also want to lift up the family of Norm Lapine. Norm Lapine uh, is just a, has been a staple in our community for so many years. He's been a great help to us here at the church, and Norm had a very long battle with, uh, with bone cancer, and uh, in the last week, he did succumb to that battle, but praise the Lord, he is resting in peace with, as a new person in Christ Jesus with the Lord, and we thank the Lord for that. So this morning, why don't we just close our eyes and bow our heads? We just want to uh, bring these two families before the Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have a plan for us, and, and that plan is indeed a plan of life and life in abundance and we thank you and praise you for the good work that you do even in those moments before we enter into glory with you. We thank you that you don't spare or waste a moment but instead you minister to us and you bring people into our lives to minister to us. And Father, we lift up the family of Peter Yofanoff, all the kids and his wife and extended family and we just ask for peace to be upon them in the next uh, week, in the coming weeks as they're processing things and dealing with, um, dealing with the estate and the family life. And we just pray, Father, for strength and peace to rest upon them in this next season. And we also lift up the family of Norm. We, we lift up his wife, Kim, and his grandbaby, and the extended family around. We just pray, Father, for peace to be upon them as they have their uh, planning that's coming up and they're making decisions. And we thank you, Father, for the folks that you have placed in their lives to be uh, ministers of the gospel in practical ways. Lord, uh, help us to not discount the incredible work that comes from believers simply being present in difficult times. We just ask, Father, that you bless the lives of, of Kim and grandbaby and the rest of the family, and we also pray that you bless those that have been supports to that family as they walk through the passing of Norm in the coming weeks. We thank you, Father, that there's opportunity to uh, be supports as your church, and show us, Lord, how we can come alongside those who are hurting and in need. In your name we pray, amen. Amen. 
So this morning, we are digging into John, or 2 John, and it is a good time. Uh, now, 2 John has three parts to it. There's a greeting, there is the uh, admonition or the teaching portion of the passage, and then there's a final greeting. It is a little letter that is written. And so this morning, we are going to read through it together, and as we read through it together, you can check off your box, yes, this year I read the entire book of 2 John. And then next week, you get to check off the list that you read through another one. And so by the time that summer is done, and we've done our church in the parks, and we've done our baptisms, and we've had our fun, you can give thanks to the Lord that you have read a good portion of the Word of God. And here, we hope that you take these things, and you use them to enrich and equip your life as you endeavor to follow the Lord. So, 2 John 1 through 13, here we go. The elder to the elect lady and her children whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth that abides in us and we and will be with us forever. Grace and mercy and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son in truth and love. I rejoiced greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one that we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into this world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus in the flesh, and such a one is the deceiver, and they are anti-Christ. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but rather may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting, for whoever greets him takes a part in his wicked works. Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. Wow, it's interesting. There is a call to walk in truth, love, and obedience but then there's also this deep and profound warning to be cautious against deceptive teaching. Now, the theme for 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, all very short books of the Bible, next week is 3rd John, these are all short letters of warning and caution for the church to be careful of false teaching. As we see an overview of this book of the Bible, we see the call to walk in truth. We see the call to love one another and to obey God. We see the warning to be aware of false teachers. And finally, we see the excitement that John has to visit in person and to spend time with this church. Now, I was going through the commentaries of this, and I find it so interesting. I love reading the ESV version of the Bible because I find it rich 
uh, as far as um, translation is concerned. It is a fantastic translation of the scriptures. But the history of the ESV and some of the writers that come, uh, that come to it, that give the translation, come to it from a, uh, a bit of a background that pushes down the idea that women can be in ministry. And so some of the commentary that's in the ESV is always quite curious to me, and I find it a little bit funny. Uh, and you can, if you, if you wonder what I'm talking about, you can do your own research. Praise the Lord, it'll get you into the Bible. But I find it so curious. So what I love is that when, when I read through this, it's talking about the elect lady. And uh, in, the, in the commentary in the ESV, it says that the elect lady is just talking about the church. It's talking about the, bro the broader church, and the children are the people that go to the church. Uh, but what's interesting is actually when we dig into the history of it and we dig into the actual language that's used, the language that we use isn't referring to a broader church. It's not using elect lady or chosen lady as a, as a title for a broader group of people. In fact, it is quite specific. And, and in that specificity, we see that John, uh, as he calls himself uh, the elder, the teacher, John is actually writing a letter to this lady who indeed has a great amount of influence in the local church. She's a lady who has uh, possesses a significant amount of wealth and in a significant amount of influence in the community that she is living in. And what's interesting about this is with this wealth, with this influence that she does have, she is cautioned deeply as she gathers the church, she's cautioned to be careful about who is being invited in to teach and to share and to bring ideas about the faith. Now, I want to encourage you ladies, specifically the elder ladies in the room who are widows, who are, who are caring for and ministering to other believers who are coming alongside of them, Strive to seek Christ and Christ alone. Chase after what it says in the word of God. Read and pour over the scriptures. Cause the scriptures to become a portion of your daily study of life and find your life and your value as you are anchored into the word of God. And as you do this, as you pour over the scriptures, God will allow you to care for and minister to others. Now, everybody here knows one of those great grandmas in their life that just loves them and cares for them. One of those wonderful grandmas that you go to their house no matter what's going on in life and there is some tea and there is a cookie there for you and you can sit in grandma's recliner and you can just talk about life with grandma and, and grandma is there to not only encourage you by giving you a space to unpack but grandma's also there to give you one of those if you need it. We all need one of those grandmas in our life and that's who John is writing to. John is writing to this amazing and wonderful woman who is encouraging and building up the church that she is involved in, but he is also passing along a caution to her, be careful who is allowed in to teach about the scriptures. Be careful who is allowed in to teach about the word of God. Why was this such an important call that John had for this lady? Why? Well, at the time, something very interesting was going on, and it was, it's so similar to what we actually see today here. Not, not here, I hope, but here in society. There was this teaching that was going on called Gnosticism, okay? Gnosticism. And it's this idea that there is this hyper-focus on the spiritual portion of ourselves rather than the physical life that we live or the world that we live in. 
It was this idea that anything to do that was, that was molecularly based or that was based in the flesh was evil and vile and wrong, and you chased that away, and instead you only anchored to the spiritual. Now, in this, there's also this understanding that because we are created from God, that means we have parts of God in all of us, and in amongst all of us, we have a God consciousness. This is not true, by the way, uh, for in fact, we can read from the scriptures, and we know that our flesh and our hearts are desperately wicked, and we are in need of a Savior. But Gnosticism at the time was teaching that, in fact, you don't need salvation from anything broad. What you need to do is tap into your divine consciousness that is given to you by by God, it is placed in you. But we know from the scriptures that that is not true. We need to go beyond ourselves. We need to reach out beyond the broken vessel so that the broken vessel can be repaired. We need the master technician to affect and a change and work and minister to us, which is the broken vessel. We need that desperately. But Gnosticism teaches that everything we need comes from an internal place. And in this, when we start chasing after what comes out of us internally, we start chasing after wrong or false philosophy and theology. You see, the doctrine around this is quite false, and in fact, it is a, a very stark contrast to what we see taught about very explicitly in the scriptures. We need to die to ourselves daily and pick up the cross and follow Jesus. It's not about how much I can manifest on my own accord to receive what I want. You see, that's quite selfish. But instead, we choose to surrender our lives to the one who created us because his ways are better than our ways. And you see, this is the teaching that John and the early church were really dealing with. They were wrestling with this. There was this idea that Jesus, although he was important, wasn't, in fact, the resurrected Son of God. Jesus was nothing more than a good teacher. Jesus had some great points and some great ideas, but everything that you need comes from within you because you are special. Now, I love you all but you're not that special. But my mom told me I'm special. Your mom is biased. <laughs> what we need is we desperately need Jesus. And, and we need to anchor to the truth that's in the gospel. And if you look through the whole history of everything we see unfold and unpacked from the dawn of time to what we saw in Christ's times, foreshadowing to what we are going to see in the days that are in front of us now as we read John's revelation we can really draw from this that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It's just true. We don't like to admit it. Nobody likes to admit that we have sinned and we've messed up. But welcome to the party. I'm a sinner. My name is James, and I go to church. And that is all of us here. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And when we get hyper-consumed <clears throat> with the idea that our spiritual lives are so important and so crucial and we can manifest anything it is that we like, we can go down a pretty dangerous road. <clears throat> I love the song that we sang, the second song there. It's a narrow road that leads to life, but I want to be on it. Robert Frost wrote about that, taking the road less traveled. 
There's something special about making sure you are anchoring to the truth. And in fact, John knows this so much that he went out of his way to write this letter to the church so that the church wouldn't find themselves in a difficult situation. The theme that we see in this whole chapter, in this whole book, rather, is one of love. And it, and it says this in verse 6, And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. Not our commandments. You see, Gnosticism, what we see represented in the early church that John and the other apostles were battling, and, and we see alive and well today, Gnosticism says there are no commandments, there are no absolute rules. You do what you want to do. You do you, boo. I, did I just say that? I just said that. My daughters, my daughters will give this to me, give it to me later about that. The, the reality is, is that there's this, this recognition of you do you. You do whatever you want to do. Whatever makes you feel good. But in reality, if you've raised children, you know that the very things that may make a child feel good in a moment will have them throwing up half an hour later. Candy sure makes a child feel good for moments, and then it's vomit everywhere. It is the Technicolor dream coat of vomit all over the living room floor, and, and then now you have to not only deal with that mess, which could have been prevented, you now have to deal with the mess of the attitude and the chaos that is going on in your little one's mind and body as they're vibrating and shaking and coming down from their sugar high. This idea in Gnosticism that promotes that there is no absolute truth, you can do what you like to do as long as you're not harming others, do what thou wilt, is actually one of the chief tenets of Satanism. What we need to remember is the Bible calls us to walk in a way that says, not my will, but yours be done. It says it in the Lord's Prayer. Jesus lays it out explicitly for us. Teacher, how should we pray? Will you praise God? You ask him for provision in your life, and then you have to remember what your position is. Not your will be done, but his will be done. Because realistically, at the end of the day, what he wants for you is better than the best thing you could ever want for yourself. And it's the fact. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. What is the extension of that commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. It's this call to love. But in this, there also has to be a recognition of truth and then a desire to walk in the obedience of what we've been asked to do. In 2 John, the elder, who is John, briefly explains the relationship between these three. First, we see love and truth. John loves those who know the truth because the truth lives in them, abides in them, is part of who they are. And when two parties know the truth, this is the cool thing, when two parties know the truth, love comes naturally. When we do marriage prep with people, and, and Marie and I have experienced this through our almost 20 years of marriage, when you meet together at the foot of the cross, that means when in your life Jesus is number one, it is very easy then to meet your spouse wherever they're at. It's very easy to. 
You see, we, we, we kind of see the marriage relationship as the husband and the wife meeting together at the foot of the cross of Jesus. And it's a pretty amazing thing when you see husbands and wives walking in the truth that comes from God, it causes them to love each other more deeply. And there, in fact, there is a sacrificial, an agape, a giving, a surrendering type of love that comes along with that. It's quite wild. We wonder sometimes, well, how can we love our spouse if our spouse is not a believer? Well, the Bible says, in fact, that the actions that we commit towards our unbelieving spouse can actually cause them to become a believer. That means that if you are married to someone who is not a Christian, who isn't a believer, you don't need to go beat him over the head with the Bible and tell him to get on board or get off the ship. What you can do is you can love them and care for them and minister to them and nurture them. And those actions that speak of love will transform not only your spouse, it will transform your relationship, and in fact, it can actually transform the lineage that comes from you. It's pretty amazing. And it doesn't always happen overnight. It takes time, and that's okay. We've got all the time in the world until we suddenly don't, and so that's okay. So I love this. John loves those who know the truth because the truth lives in them. And when two people know the truth, the love that they have and that they need to have for one another comes naturally. That is how we are able to love people who are different than us. That's how I'm able to love people who don't like Volkswagens. I love Volkswagens. I've had like 15 Volkswagens. Uh, it's probably a problem. We need to talk about it. Maybe there can be a support group for it. But then there's guys that just love Chevys, and I pray for them as well. I don't see eye to eye. I don't see eye to eye. I don't, I don't get it. I don't, I'm not going to get into the details, but I just don't understand. But what I do know is that what supersedes my love for Volkswagens and their love, wrong love of Chevys, um, what supersedes that is the work that Christ accomplished upon the cross, right? And so in that, I can choose to still love somebody who's a bit different than me. So that's point number one, love and truth. Second, we see truth and obedience. God, our heavenly father, commanded us to walk in truth. He commanded us to walk in truth. Not just believe some arbitrary truth that comes across our desk, but to actually walk in the truth. What is the truth? We see the truth unfolding in the scriptures as we pour over it together, as we read it in our downtime. The truth is in the word of God. He is our creator. He loves us. We have a condition that needs to be repaired. It is called sin. How do we have that fixed? It, the price needs to be paid for the debt that we have incurred. We can't pay it. We are bankrupt morally. What do we do? We go to the Lord who has given us a way to see that debt paid. That debt was paid by the sacrifice that was made. That sacrifice was made by Jesus. It's pretty straightforward. Well, Jesus, thank you for your sacrifice because you have paid this tremendous debt for me, I choose to surrender to you, and I choose to walk in your will and walk in your ways. This is great. This means that because of the work of Jesus, we have life in abundance, and we have a choice to walk in the truth. In fact, we are commanded to walk in the truth, and because we are commanded to walk in the truth, we can either obey the commandment, or we can run the other direction from it. 
So I, I choose, I personally, I choose to obey the truth. Now, my rebellious side wants to question it all the time. My rebellious side wants to run the other way. That's just my nature. It's, it's our flesh nature. But I have to choose to put that part of me to death, and I have to choose today to walk in the truth. And when you know the truth, when you know what the truth is, obedience comes naturally. So at the very most basic level, if the truth is God is our creator, Jesus is his son, he has given us the gift of his Holy Spirit for life, okay, I'll choose to believe the truth. If the truth is I have sinned and fallen short of what God's perfect plan is for my life, well, if that's the truth, I want to be better. How do I get better? I can't be better on my own. I've created the condition that I, I am in right now. So how do I move beyond that? Well, way to move beyond that is you reach out a hand and ask for help. And that help comes in the form of what Jesus did on that cross. And in that, because Jesus' ways are the right ways, I want to be obedient to what he's asked me to do. My flesh might not want to. Like, I might want to go and drink and party all weekend long. I might want to go and shoot up with anything that I can find. I might want to go and cheat on my spouse. I might want to go and do A, B, and C. I might want to drive a Chevy. Praise the Lord. Hasn't happened yet. The Lord has saved me. <sighs> I might want to do these things, but instead I choose to accept the truth of the gospel and I choose to obey I choose to. That means I choose to believe that his ways are better than my ways. I don't like to think like that very often. I'd love to think that my ways are better. I mean, half of us in this room probably think that we're right almost all the time. The truth is you're probably wrong. Nobody likes to admit it, but the reality is is that we have a choice to walk in truth and we have a decision to obey, but when we accept the truth, the obedience comes easily. Finally, we see obedience and love. The, the other commandment that God gave isn't new. We, we touched on it just briefly ago. Love one another. Love God. Love one another. A sign of obedience to God is love for his church. And it's a sign that shows the obedience that we have towards the Lord. Church can be ta challenging, especially when we know there's people sitting in our pews and people sitting across the aisle from us that are a little bit different than us or maybe think differently than us or maybe walk through life a little bit differently than us. Maybe there's somebody here that's hurt you. Maybe you've hurt somebody and you're too stubborn to admit it. The reality is, is that when we see the opportunity to walk in obedience of what God has asked us to do, a sign for that, a proof if you were, is that there will be a love for his church. That means a love for those that aren't just here in this place, but a love for those that occupy many seats on Sunday mornings across our nation. It isn't an us versus them sort of situation that we live in. What it is, is an us versus our own sin nature. And we need to get over that by surrendering to the Lord and allowing his will and his way to be accomplished in our lives. And really, in this process, the thing that gets hurt the most is our pride, right? And I talk about it all the time. It's our pride that gets hurt. And God is so good at just giving us so many opportunities for our pride just to get kicked. 
right? Like, I don't know about you, but I get opportunities weekly, sometimes daily, uh, to, <laughs> Maria's just gloating over there. Um, uh, sometimes I get opportunities for my pride to get knocked down a whole bunch of notches. And at the end of the day, you have to realize, well, why, man, I am just so ridiculous. Anybody ever here ever come to that point where they're just like, man, I'm just ridiculous. Yeah, oh, it can't just be me. Thank you, Cam. Oh, I thought, I thought I was alone. I was like, oh, this can't be true. We, we get to these points where like, what have I been doing with myself? And it's almost laughable how ridiculous it is. But at the end of the day, what we see come to light is that we've just been running the opposite direction of where God's asked us to go. The, the only thing that gets hurt is our pride. We, maybe we got to admit we did it wrong. Maybe we have to admit that we actually really messed up our kids. <laughs> wow. Maybe we have to admit that we screwed up our finances because we chased after a whole bunch of things that weren't the Lord's. Maybe we have to admit that we brought ourselves to the brink of destruction. It wasn't God. Maybe we have to admit that th the state of what we see in our neighborhood is probably a direct reflection of how we have not loved our neighbors. That hurts. It hurts, right? But what hurts in that process? The only thing that gets hurt is our pride. And we're called to actually walk humbly before the Lord. And, and walking humbly before God means that there naturally has to be an absence of pride. It means we have to say, I don't know what I'm doing. God, I need you. And, and if anything happens in our lives, maybe when we get far older than we are today, maybe we have opportunity to go out and speak about the truth. Maybe we have opportunity to go and, and call others to walk firmly in, in what God has asked them to do. But, but first, I would say, have we checked ourselves? Because there's nothing that causes more disruption in the life of a community when the church says, do this, do this, don't do this, don't do this, but the church does the exact opposite. Or the representatives of the church do the exact opposite. We are called to love one another, and we're called to love the Lord, and we're also called to walk in obedience and walk in the truth. So in all of this, I would encourage you to start digging into the word. How do I find out what the truth is? How do I know what is real and what's not real? How do I anchor to the right teaching? Well, I encourage you, read your Bibles. It's actually all there. You're not going to find it on, on scrolling through YouTube Reel after YouTube Reel. And you won't find it after flipping through everybody's opinions and ideas on Instagram. It's not going to happen. Where it is going to happen is when you take time to dedicate your time, not waste it, but dedicate it to reading God's Word and walking in that instruction. And if you need help to understand or to decipher this, go and find somebody who's been a Christian longer than you. Do it. Go and find somebody because we are actually called to be a community of believers. This is a family of believers and we learn from one another. In our day and age, we love to be independent. And in fact, it's kind of built into our, the DNA of our nation. We want to be independent. We want to forge our own way. We want to do our own thing. But we are actually called and built to be reliant upon community. It's true. So if you're endeavoring to figure out the truth of what's in the Bible, I, I encourage you to go and read the Bible. Then I encourage you also to go and find somebody who's a bit older than you in the faith, who, who lives a life that is a good example, and to ask them questions. What does this mean? What did he mean by this? I don't understand this. Can you shed some light on this for me? 
I encourage you to do that because you will find a plethora of riches here in your own community that can actually give life to you where you need it most. Beware of false teachers, finally, is what we see things coming to a close here with. John warns that many deceivers have gone out into the world and that Christians should watch themselves, guard themselves. Well, how do you do that? Well, we should be aware of teachers who do not acknowledge Jesus and his human life. We have to guard ourselves against teachings that deviate from the things that Jesus taught. Here's a pro tip. Jesus taught very simply. He taught to farmers. He taught to carpenters. He taught to people in the marketplace. He wasn't sitting around holding giant seminars and going after his doctorate and chasing after the things that qualified him in the eyes of man. What he did is he fully surrendered his life to his heavenly father. Jesus taught a simple message. And all of it is outlined in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's all there. And if you want to know how to walk in the true teachings of what Jesus has said, read those. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And they'll get a hold of your heart and they're going to cause conflict inside of you because your natural flesh is going to want to do things that are far different than you might be reading in the text. But the text and the words of Jesus, those red letters, will be transformative to your life. And in fact, when you know what the truth is, it will be easier for you to guard your heart against false teaching. John's dealing with, with this Gnosticism in the times, and it's no different than what we deal with today. Everybody knows that everybody in our community loves the idea of spirituality. They love it. But you introduce Jesus into the conversation, and it takes a turn real quick. What I encourage you is don't be transformed by the teachings that you hear in the world, but rather have your heart changed by what you read in the scriptures. Because the world is fleeting. It will pass away. Generations change Societal norms change. Our problems and difficulties, they change. But the, the one thing that is unchanging and true is, is the word of God. And, and we've seen it proven out over thousands of years to be accurate and something that we can anchor to. Be cautious as you are endeavoring to learn the word. Be cautious not to introduce poor teachings about spirituality or the faith into your life. Because when these false teachings begin to take root, they can transform into a heretical doctrine, and you don't want that in your life. If you've accepted some of these things, I encourage you, go back to the Word of God and surrender maybe where your heart and your mind have gone to the Father and trust that He will begin rebuilding and reestablishing the truth in your life as you read His Word. There's a need that John felt to protect his readers from the deception of those who refused to remain in the teaching of Christ, but rather went beyond the truth of the gospel teaching and started clamoring for their own thoughts and ideas to be known. He makes it clear that these types of people are anti-Christ. They don't know God. And he reminds us and the readers that read this passage of our responsibility 
as Christians to love other Christians. That means that we come alongside one another and we encourage each other, but we also bring admonition where it needs to happen, not for the sake of pushing people away, but for the sake of drawing them back into the truth. We want to encourage one another, as we see in the scriptures, to walk in truth. And and this truth is still consistent today, just as it was 2,000 years ago, and we have to endeavor to walk in that truth, even in the world of deception that we often find ourselves in. We have to be careful. So finally, I'll get the worship team to come back up. Much of the difficulty and the confusion that we see outlined in 2 John can be avoided. And it can be avoided through discipleship. What is discipleship? Discipleship happens out of relationship. I don't know about you, but I've got a few people in my life that I love dearly, that we have gone through a lot of life with, and they are the ones that we can celebrate with, and they're also the ones that can tell me to smarten up, and I'll take it. I would say it's probably fair to say most people in this room do not like it when someone comes alongside them and says, hey, you're messing up, change your ways, otherwise you're going to be in trouble. Nobody likes to hear that. How dare you tell me what to do? You can't tell me what to do. You're not my mom. You're not my dad. You're not my pastor. But I would say that we would probably be in far better shape if we accepted correction from the ones who love us dearly We would be in far better shape if we accepted correction from the ones who loved us dearly than we would accepting the kind words from people who don't care about our souls. Think about that. Think about that. Ask yourself the question, who loves me? You know, your mom and dad love you because they have to. You got some friends around you that love you because of what you can do for them. Who are the people in your life that love you unconditionally, that have proven that out? And when you're in a challenging place in life, when you're facing these things, go to those ones that have loved you through thick and thin and ask the question, am I really messing this up? What they have to share with you might be so hard to hear, but it's going to come from a place of profound love. They're more concerned about the state of your soul than they are concerned about if you're going to like them at the end of the day. This is tough. This is challenging to wrestle with because none of us like to be told how we're doing well or how we're doing poorly. Actually, we would love to be told that we're doing great. We do not like to be told that maybe we're causing a lot of grief to ourselves. I've had to learn over the years that I need correction. I do. I need correction. But I don't take correction from everybody. I take correction from the ones who have invested in in my life, who have poured into me, who have loved me in my darkest times and who have come alongside me in my brightest moments. And usually that happens over years. You get to see that love proven out. Because the truth of what we see in the scriptures can be so damning to our flesh The very things that we entertain in the evenings and and celebrate in the mornings often are the very things that can lead us down a road to separation from God. And we need those moms and dads in the faith, those grandmas and grandpas in the faith to slap our hands when we're getting too close to the hot stove or to pull us back 
when we're stepping out onto a busy street. There's danger there. Watch out. Be careful. We need that. And the action at the time might seem so violent. It might seem so serious. It might actually hurt a little bit. It might be uncomfortable. But far better for us to be pulled away from a busy street or yanked away from a hot stove than to be burned or maimed or killed by the actions we think aren't wrong. It's a hard thing to process. But really, it's actually easy. You see, if we, if we love our life and we consider our lives to be a gift from God, why would we not want them to be nourished? Why would we not want them to grow? Why would we not want correction from the things that are killing us? Church, I encourage you this morning to find those people in your life that can be those moms and dads or grandmas and grandpas in the faith. They're not always going to tell you what you want to hear, but they will tell you what you need to hear. And I implore you to take their warnings and take their equipping and their teaching with the weight that it is because it can affect your soul. Your flesh might be uncomfortable for a moment, but your soul will be thankful for eternity. Church, I encourage you this morning to accept the truth, to walk in love, and pursue obedience to what God has asked you to do. Run the other direction from stuff that isn't teaching you what the Bible says. Run the other direction from things that maybe sound like the truth, but are full of lies. It's difficult, I know, because sometimes we invest a lot of our, of our time and our effort and our identity and our energy in pursuing and believing something, and so we want to continue that investment, but there is no, there is no shame in cutting that off because investing into that will pay dividends of death in your future. Today, there's an opportunity to cut that off and walk in the truth. And at first, it might seem like a bit of a loss. But when you prune a tree that isn't bearing fruit, and it's pared down to nothing, and you've got this stump with a couple of branches in front of you, you think, well, what have I done? But then a season passes, and it gets the food that it needs, and all the suckers are gone. The buds start to appear, and a better fruit is produced. And there is better health in the long run. And not only is it life for that tree, it's life for all those who pick from it. That is the story of our lives. Don't be ashamed to have your tree pruned. It, it might seem like you might be losing a bit, but in fact, you're gaining everything. I invite you to stand, church. We're going to close in prayer. I want to remind you that tonight is a time of worship. Come out tonight and join uh, this church and other churches as we praise Jesus this evening and we thank him. As we praise and worship and we close with this today, I, I want to encourage you, don't just be acknowledgers of Jesus, but be disciples of him. Don't just be acknowledgers of 
the truth, be followers of the truth. Maybe you've chased after every single possible teaching that you can try to anchor to the Bible so it suits where you're at in life. I just want to encourage you, follow the scriptures alone. It's easy to find teaching out there that will support anything you want it to, anything you want it to say. But you see, it takes true maturity to put that part of us away and say yes to what the scriptures say. As you read the Bible and the words penetrate your heart and your mind and your soul, it will inform you not just how to survive, but how to thrive. It's not just going to help you live, but it will actually give you life and life in abundance. No matter how old or how young you are, you need to accept solid, proper, real teaching of God's word into your life. No matter how old or how young you are, you need to receive correction. No matter how old or how young you are, you must endeavor to be learners of God's word and his word alone. Our theology will undoubtedly inform our actions. And our actions are what speaks to the world about the character of Christ. And if we aren't rooted in good, true, proper theology, we may be leading others astray if we're not careful. This morning as we close in, in praise and worship, maybe you've been here and you've kind of been on this journey of, of waffling, trying to figure out where you're at and where you've landed. Perhaps you're here this morning and you know that what I'm saying is very true and it is touching your heart, but you're not sure if you're ready to jump on it yet. I understand that, that saying yes to Jesus means that change is going to happen. I, I get that. I said, I said yes to Jesus when I was young and I've had to say yes to Jesus um, many, many, many times since I've been young. And every time is tough but I know it's right. I get that saying yes to Christ may mean that people will think you're weird and maybe they're going to ask more questions than you're ready to answer. I know it might mean that today you have to choose to lay certain things down in, in order to walk in a right relationship with God. I get that. I would never ask anybody here to do something that I haven't had to do or am doing right now. I understand that when you say yes to Jesus, it might produce this anxiety because you don't know what next week will look like. You don't know if you can maintain the decision that you make today. But I want to encourage you that when you say yes to Jesus, you're saying yes to a journey of a transformed life. When you say yes to Jesus, this change happens over time. There are parts that change in a moment and there are parts that change until the day you step into eternity. And that's okay. Some things change quick and some things take time. It just depends on how deep the roots go. But what is the most important is that you do indeed start a journey with Christ. And it's a journey of truth. It is a journey of love. 
and it is a journey of obedience. And it is the best thing that could ever happen to you. This morning, I want you to close your eyes and I want you to just put your hands out. Now, you might think, oh, what does this even mean? Well, here's the deal. When you're a kid at Christmas time and you're ready to get a gift, your parents say, close your eyes. I'm going to pass you one now. You put this hand, your hands out. This is a posture of reception. Cl- crossing your arms and standing there is, is definitely a posture of pushing away. It's defensive. But when you stop and you put your hands out, this is an open posture, a posture of receiving. God has a gift for you this morning, and that is the gift of his son, Jesus, and today you can receive that gift. So if you're here this morning and you've been just back and forth on this journey, or if this is your first time ever in church today and you're like, man, I, I, I need something more than what I've been pursuing. I, I need the truth. I need the love. I need to walk in the obedience. And if that's you today, if you are ready to say yes, You can just put your hand up. No one's staring at you. We're not here to single you out. Just put your hand up. And it's today that you get to start the journey. And it's a good journey to go on. It's a joyful journey to go on. It's going to be tough, but the good kind of tough. The tough that makes you better on the other side. So if that's you this morning and you you are ready to say yes, the adventure of a lifetime You can just repeat after me. Say, Jesus, I know I need you. Jesus, I know I've sinned and fallen short of your perfect plan. Jesus, I invite you into my life. I I want your will to be done, not my own. Jesus, draw me near to you. Jesus, I thank you. Heavenly Father, I just ask that you bless your church this morning. Thank you for the work that you are doing right now in hearts and in lives. Thank you for the restoration that's occurring right now. Forgive us for where we have misstepped, thought wrong, spoken wrong, acted wrong. Continue drawing us nearer to you moment by moment and day by day. Renew in us a right spirit. We praise you, God, for your mighty work. Amen.